me to Ephesians chapter 4. As we do that, children, you are dismissed to teach me to worship. And as you turn there, please, as has been our custom, if you are able and willing, please stand for the honor of the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Ephesians 4, 17, I'm going to read all the way through chapter 5, verse 2. Not all of chapter 5, just through verse 2. Ephesians 4, 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart, that, you have be, that they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way that you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on your new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are all members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let your sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity for the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no, corruption, no, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is, as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that one may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whom by you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I think the one of the, the youth's favorite stories that I tell is the story of when I was homeless. Right after I graduated college, I moved to Europe to go to a Bible school for a year. The first six months, I lived in Manchester, or just north of Manchester, England, in the Lake Districts. Then that summer, I switched to a sister school in Schladming, Austria. Between the two terms, I had time to travel, and my travel ended the way that all 18-year-old boys travel ends, out of money and out of food. And so I had a Europass, which meant I, I had a way from getting from Milan, Italy, up to Schladming, Austria. And once I got there, I realized I got there a week early. That school didn't start for another week. So I did the only thing that people who have run out of money do. I go and I buy two baguettes of bread, a jar of Nutella, and I set off into the wilderness. 
I felt I'm going to pave new trails. I am going to be a man's man. I'm going to be an outdoorsman. So what, I, what did I do? I went up the mountain. I was on the walking trail. I was like, you know, I don't need a trail. I'm going I'm to make my own trail. And so I just cut straight up the mountain through all the thicket, through all the brush, until I got to a road and realized, oh, man has already been here. What am I doing? And so I set up camp. And on the top of the mountain, I almost froze to death. So the next morning, I packed up my things, and I went back down to Schladming, Austria, where I stayed for the next three nights underneath a bridge. Me and all of my stuff underneath a bridge with my two baguettes and my can of Nutella. The next day, I realized I, I found somebody. She was going to be a student at the school, and she got there early, and she was staying in a bed and breakfast because, you know, why wouldn't you stay in a bed and breakfast in Schladming? And she asked if I wanted to come over, and of course I said yes. And once I got to her room, I had this realization. But I didn't have this realization until she did something. As soon as we entered the room, what did she do? She went to open the window. I hadn't taken a shower in a week. I'd been living outside under a bridge for the past four days. I stunk. I couldn't even smell myself. I smelt so bad. I needed a shower. I needed new clothes. I needed to be clean. This is what our sin does to us. We become so used to it that we can't smell it anymore. We can't see it anymore. When we wallow in it and we continue to return to it time and time again, even when we fantasize about it, when we say that we hate it, but we find ourselves seeking it, desiring, wanting just a little bit more, we've become so accustomed to our sin that it becomes like cologne. You spray it, oh, that smells nice, and then the smell goes away. But what we don't know is that that smell stays with us. What the Apostle Paul is telling us here in Ephesians is that we as Christians, people indwelt with the Holy Spirit, should desire nothing more than to wash off the crud of our sin. Because it makes us smell. Our hearts should long, as he says in Romans chapter 7, that we no longer want to do what we hate doing. As Christians, we should desire to scrub ourselves and wash our sins away. This is what we call sanctification. Mortifying our sin. Putting away our sin. I was disgusting with my stench. But what I needed, I couldn't provide for myself. I didn't have the means of doing it. And this is where we hear the voice and the call of the gospel. Jesus comes to us and says, I will make you clean. I will take your sins away. Therefore, Paul is demanding, therefore, 
you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Paul says here, I say, I testify. This has the force of a decree. I decree to you, no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Obedience is not optional for the Christian. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a saint. You have been chosen to be holy and blameless, set apart for holy use apart from your sin. Through the blessings of Christ, you have been redeemed. You have been forgiven of your trespass by the grace of God, and you haven't earned a thing. It is because He loves you. The eyes of our hearts have been enlightened, not only to the hope that we have future-looking faith, but our hearts have been opened. The eyes of our hearts have been opened to see our old lives for what they were, marred and tainted by sin. And here I want us to see three truths this morning that the Paul teaches the church. The way of the world, the way of the word, and the way of the weak. He tells the church of the way of the world. I urge you not to walk in a manner, or he started the chapter by saying, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. This is a stark contrast to what we see here. You must no longer walk as Gentiles walk. You must no longer walk like them. And the, the word Gentiles here is a catch-all phrase. It's a representation of all the world. Gentiles are everyone who is not part of God's covenant community. This isn't the same way that he used the word Gentiles earlier in the book. In chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, he spoke of the Gentiles that have been included in the gospel community. And he said, remember that you at one time, you were Gentiles in the flesh. And then he made a distinction between the uncircumcised and the so-called circumcised. But there he talked about how the gospel has brought all who have faith into the people of God that those who were alienated and strangers of the covenants have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So Gentiles can have faith, but that's not the Gentiles he's referring to here. Here, he's making a distinguish between the church and the world. Do not act like the world. You should not look like they look. You should not talk like they talk. You should not smell like they smell. Why? Well, he tells us in verses 17 and 19. They are futile in their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of their heart, they have become callous. And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy practice of every kind of impurity. This word for futile in their minds means they constantly reach for something. And if they reach it, they are not satisfied by it. This is what Paul says in Romans 1. For we know that 
for what, we can, what can be known about God is plain to them, to the world, because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that, he has, that have been made. So they are without excuse. For all they, though they knew God, they did not honor him and give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immoral, immortal God for images resembling mortal man. What Paul is saying is how the world works, how the world thinks, how the world lives. Christ has overcome it. We as Christians can no longer live that way. What Paul is describing is what we call the total depravity of man. He acknowledges that they are by nature children of wrath, and their sin permeated every part of their being. Their hearts have become so hard and callous the things of God, that they can no longer see God for who he truly is. And we've heard of this hardening of heart before, right? This is the common condemnation of the Old Testament saints who no longer believed in the promises of God. They were part of the covenant community, but they no longer paid tribute to the God of the covenant who loved them and gave them all things. But this is where we meet the gospel. Because what does God tell the Israelites who have hardened hearts? In Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, he said, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. What does he promise in Jeremiah 31? He says, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. What does he promise in Ezekiel chapter 36? I will sprinkle water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. For all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes. What God has done for us in the power of the gospel is he has proclaimed what we cannot do for ourselves. He has removed our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. He has acted on behalf of his people because he loves his people. And he's gracious and merciful to his people. And this is what he has done for us in Christ. We used to be this way but Paul is saying, no longer be this way because God has acted. He has worked for you and in you. 
He has been faithful to his promise. Then Paul contrasts the way of the world with the way of the word. And as he said in Galatians 6, he contrasts the way of the flesh and the way of the spirit. He says, that is not the way you learned Christ. He assumes that all who are in the church of Ephesus have learned Christ. That they've used the gifts that God has given him. Remember last week. God has given his gifts to the church teachers to teach the word so that the saints might do the work of ministry. Here he is saying, you have learned Christ. You've sat underneath the word of the gospel. This is what Jesus says himself. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is the word of truth. The light of the world came into our darkness and shed light upon us, and he has changed us forever through the power of his grace. He has called us out of the world that we so loved that we followed by nature. And Jesus says, come unto me and I will give you rest. He has transformed us through his word, through the word of Christ. And because of that transformation, he tells us, to, that we should be changed in three ways. We should put off our old selves, our old way of living, our being in Adam. Our desires, our sensualities, things that we think bring us fulfillment and healing, but things that only lead to death. Because isn't that what our sin does? It always promises us life. And then it shames us. And it breaks us. And it humiliates us. This is what our old selves did. But Paul is saying, no longer do those things. We have been renewed in our minds. The way we think should be different. The, under, the way that we understand God's work in the world through the redemption of Christ should be different because we have been taught Christ and we know Christ. Therefore, we should put on our new selves, created after likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We are to take off our old self and to put on our new self, which is Christ. This is why Paul can say in other places, the old has gone and the new has come. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, you have been justified from your sin. We have been transferred from Adam 
to a new and better Adam, and his name is Christ. What he has done for us is he has imputed Christ's righteousness to us. We are no longer guilty of anything we have done, anything you are doing now, or anything you will do because of Christ. In that same way, we are being sanctified by Christ. Through God's Spirit, He is infusing grace upon our souls. This is what the Word does. It is a means of dispensing God's grace into our lives so that we look like new creations in Christ. We are able. This is, this is why I put this in our bulletin. We don't often do this. We do this every once in a while. We have the assurance of pardon and the law of Christ. We are able to do this because of the power of the gospel. We are not able to do this by our own strength. We are not able to do this because we think, you know what, today I'm just going to be better. We are able to do this when we submit to the Spirit and His Word and we say, God, work in me through the power of the resurrected Christ. And this takes faith. We so often believe that we are justified by faith alone. But how often do we actually ask ourselves, why didn't I see any change? Is God truly at work in me? Am I truly being sanctified by His Spirit? And this is where we follow by faith. Because God promised He is at work in our hearts. He promised that He would sanctify us by His Word. That He would cleanse us from our sins and make us new. That He Himself created and put upon us a new humanity through the gospel of peace, we must have faith that what God began, he will bring to completion. That he is transforming us even when we don't see it. Brothers and sisters, we have been set free from the power of sin it no longer has dominion over us. Sinclair Ferguson, just this last week in his podcast called Things Unseen, and if you want a, a daily podcast to listen to, I, I highly recommend Things Unseen. It's just a few minutes long. And he speaks about both the positive and negative steps of the Christian life. There are some of us who only focus on the negative things, things that we are not to do, such as the things described in verses 17 through 19 and verse 31. We think, you know what, here's, here's my list. These are the things that I can't do. And then there's other of us who only focus on the list of the things that we must do. Yes, in Christ, God has called us to good works, to good living, to, be, to live by the Spirit. 
and we tend to focus on just one or the other. Saying no to sin is essential. It's part of the gospel. Just as important is saying yes to righteousness, to be like Christ. But what's so hard about our Christian life is that we live in the already and not yet. In this life, we will never see our sanctification perfected. We will struggle. We will run back to our old master. We will go back to the stench of our old lives. But this is what Jesus proclaims to you. You have been set free. You no longer need to run back. He tells his disciples, I have given you my word. And the world hates them because you are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am sanctifying you through the word of truth. And I'm sending you back into the world. To shine light in the darkness. To be sanctified. To be holy. To love God above all things and to love your neighbor as I have loved you. This is the way of the word. Letting the word work in us and change us to the glory of Christ. We've seen the way of the world. We've seen the way of the word. Now let us look at the way of the weak. Therefore, Paul says, because everything that he has just said about the truth of the gospel, therefore we are to put away falsehood. We are supposed to speak the truth. You can be angry, but do not sin. No longer steal, but do good work. Do not have corrupt talk come out of your mouth. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. He gives us a list of what it looks like to be weak in the world. We can be angry at righteous things. God is angry at sin. God is angry when the weak are exploited, when injustice happens. But the way of weakness is to respond in love. We are no longer to steal, but we are to do good. I encourage you to go back. If Well, not go back. I encourage you to read the Westminster Larger Catechism 141 and 142. And it's, it's pretty incredible that the, our larger and shorter catechisms go through each of the commandments of God and tell us what they lead us to and what they prohibit us from. We are no longer to steal. 
whether it be goods for somebody else, whether it be time at work, whether it be for the embitterment of somebody else. We are no longer to steal, but to do good in all that we do. We are to let no corrupt talk come out of our mouths. That's not just sometimes. That's all the time. That's the people that we like. That's the people we don't like. That's with our friends, our closest friends, with our spouses. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth. Why? Because this is the way of Christ. This is how we imitate our God. Because God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to show his power and strength. The way of weakness is the way of Christ. To not act like the world, but to act like Christ. It's the way that we look out for our neighbor for their good in all things. It's the way that we forgive others, even though we don't demand forgiveness ourselves. It's loving our enemy when he hates us. You see, our world sees this as weakness, but through the power of the gospel, God shows his strength when we are weak. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. For this is what Christ has done for us. For he was crucified in weakness. Weakness is not the glory road. It's the way of the cross. Weakness looks crazy to the watching world. But this is the great paradox. The world sees Christ, and they think of weakness, they think of futility, they think of darkness, and they've become ignorant to see that what Christ has done for his people, they cannot do for themselves. And he has given them power to live. He's a life-giving spirit. This is what Christ has done for his people. When I went into that room, I was unable to smell myself. After being homeless for four days, it took someone else smelling me and me to see the reaction before I knew I needed to be washed, and I needed new clothes. This is me telling you, you need to be washed, and you need new clothes. Cling to Christ. It is so easy for us to point out the ways of the world, and how evil the world is, and where the, e and where the world is going, but it's so hard it's so hard for us to see our own sin and say, how foolish could I be? 
Every sin requires of us to undo what Christ has accomplished. When we return to our sins, we are walking in the way of the world. Brothers and sisters, this is not how we learned Christ. He is good and he is gracious. He calls you out of your sin because your sin leads to darkness and death. And he gave himself to death that you might live right now in the glory of the resurrection. This is what God has done for us. This is what God is doing for us. This is what God is doing through us. His power is made perfect in our weakness. He has called you out of your sin. Put off your old self, pick up your cross, and follow him. This is why we now come to this table. He's using his body and blood to sanctify us, to make us holy. He's infusing grace into us through the promise of the gospel that we might be imitators of him and love others as he has loved us. For he is a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Let's pray. Father, call us out of our darkness. May we see the foolishness of our sin and may we desire it no more. Create in us a clean heart that we might desire you above all else, that we might love you more than our sin. Father, give us faith that we might know that you are working in us and you are faithful and you are good. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. I now ask you to turn in your Trinity hymnal to page 845 as we confess the Apostles' Creed. And as you're doing that, please stand. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty. You may be seated.